This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our latest podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me, as always, today is my co-host and fellow meteorologist, Mike Mahalik. Welcome there, Mike. Hey, always glad to be here, Brad. Yeah, and if you're new to our podcast, thank you so much for finding us and uh, giving us a listen. So uh, what you ask is our topic for today. Well, Mike, it is time. Yeah, that is true. We got to talk winter outlook here. Um, We've been really going through all of the data over the last several weeks here, actually last several months, to be honest with you. Yeah, going back Um, to the summer. Yeah, our long-range team has, has really been... Um, looking into it, studying everything, studying the patterns, looking into analogs, and yeah, uh, we finally are here at our winter outlook for 2023-24, and uh, we have a guest with us today, don't we? Yeah, and joining us in this discussion is uh, meteorologist Kyle Leahy. Uh, he's also uh, specialized in long-range forecasting here at Weatherworks, and uh, he's been on the podcast several times before, so uh, Kyle, welcome back here to the Weather Lounge. Hey guys, nice talking to you guys again. Yeah, it's always good to have you on, Kyle. Uh, Long range is probably one of the most hot topics we get here on the podcast, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can see why. I mean, especially (laughs) with the winter, but unfortunately, it's also probably like the toughest thing to forecast as well, so... Of course, long range is is not an easy thing to do, but uh, you're getting pretty skilled at it, and I would say uh, this is... You know, it's always something that people want to know. They want to be the first to know what the winter is going to be like, of course. Um, but we also want to credit uh, your uh, colleague there, Kevin Winters, meteorologist Kevin Winters. He also is a big part of our long-range team, Kyle. And, uh, you know, he had a lot to do with this forecast, too. And we're going to talk a lot more about this winter outlook right after this short break. So don't go away. Hey, everyone. It's Mike Prianti from the Weather Lounge here. And let me tell you, dehydration is no joke. I went through it myself once, and it's not fun. You get headaches, muscle spasms, cramps, the whole nine yards. But proper functional hydration is essential for just about everyone. Sometimes, though, water may not be enough. And that's where Liquid IV comes in. They're the number one powdered hydration brand in America. And their hydration multiplier is something you're most likely missing in your daily routine. You don't even have to be a sports professional to enjoy it either. With just one stick, you can hydrate twice as fast than using water alone. It has three times the amount of electrolytes than leading sports drinks. It's made from non-GMO ingredients, and it's chock full of essential vitamins. I personally enjoy the passion fruit flavor, but there are other great refreshing flavors you can choose from as well. So whether you're out landscaping, plowing a parking lot in a snowstorm, heading out for that afternoon jog, or even just feeling run down, Liquid IV is your go-to source for all hydration and wellness. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WEATHERLOUNGE, capital W, capital L, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WEATHERLOUNGE at liquidiv.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. Meteorologist Brad Miller here in the Weather Lounge, along with Mike Mahalik and our long-range meteorologist Kyle Leahy today. And uh, again, we're talking about 
the winter outlook for 2023, and this is the full outlook. Uh, we had a preview back in August, so um, let's get right on into it. And Kyle, you know, going back to August and, you know, looking into what we're at now in October and, you know, probably a lot more clarity than what we had a few months ago. So let's just start with the general overview of what we're looking at uh, really for the Midwest and Northeast as we uh, head into our winter months this year. Yeah, so, I mean, we're really – generally <clears throat> most of the cold that we're going to be seeing is going to be later in the winter. Um, not to say that December can't be cold. There's probably going to be some, you know, seasonal cold shots and whatnot, but in terms of like the main cold air, usually with El Nino's that comes later in the winter, um, coming with El Nino's most of the time, uh, you have, you know, more big storm potential. And a lot of those times, those seasons are characterized by like one or two larger storms. Like a, a lot of the larger storms that people think of, you could think of a year like, um, like 2009, 2010, not to say that it's going to be as snowy, but that, that, that had, you know, some pretty prolific storms. You have years like 2002, 2003 that had the president's day storm. So these winters do come with a chance for just bigger storm potential, especially compared to like what we've had over the last few years, I would say. You know, you mentioned 0910. Uh, for those in the mid-Atlantic, that was a rather, pro- pro- I shouldn't even say rather prolific. It was an extreme winter. Um, you know, it's part of our analog set, like you said, but it's, it's not one of the most, I would say, uh, pivotal seasons that we're keying on. Correct. No. So the reason why we're using it is because it just kind of like fits the bill for kind of like what's been happening in terms of the pattern. So there are certain like atmospheric, atmospheric variables that we've been using. So it fits there, but like, that kind of winter, everything broke correctly in terms of snow for like much of the Northeast. There's no way that you can kind of predict that that happens again. It's just, it's just not possible. The, 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 the only thing that you can really say is that again, you just have a better chance of seeing like a larger storm or two, but in terms of like seeing like a historic winter, you can't really say that coming from just like one year that you're tossing in and blending with others. It's just not really that useful. You know, one thing you did mention for sure was talking about the El Nino that we're experiencing this year. Can you go really quickly, like, give us a short answer version of what's the difference between El Nino and La Nina like we had last year? Because we have had several questions in the past saying, what's the difference? Why does it make an impact on our weather pattern here in the United States? What are the main drivers here, Kyle, that we're talking about between La Nina and and El Nino, the differential between the last three years with La Nina, and now we're jumping right into El Nino less than 12 months later. Um, So with La Nina, um, the polar jet is most active. So that's the jet that kind of, you know, straddles the Northern United States. And those years often start out colder, uh, usually you need to get your snow in December and then February becomes less favorable because um, a lot of the time you have high pressure near Alaska or west of Alaska that leads to low pressure on the west coast and then a ridge of high pressure on the east coast. So those years generally are less favorable for the mid-Atlantic. They can be pretty good for New England, especially northern New England and like the Great Lakes, Midwest. Um, but this year is like likely going to be a total departure from that. Uh, with El Nino, you have the subtropical jet being stronger than the polar jet. So that's why you can get bigger storms because you're basically being fed moisture from, you know, you know, like the Pacific Gulf of Mexico. Um, those years, again, start off on the warmer side most of the time. Like you usually have to, you know, wait 
for a larger storm. I mean, it can snow in December, but you generally have to wait until late January, February. Um, and again, those years are better for the Mid-Atlantic rather than New England. And, and, and all of these outcomes are favored. Like you can have La Nina's that are good for the Mid-Atlantic. Um, you could have El Nino's that are good for New England. But this is just kind of like on the average, this is kind of what happens. Well, even last year's La Nina, um, Kyle, um, wasn't your typical La Nina pattern, I would say. Is that right? For some parts of the winter, I would agree. Um, like December, there was a lot of high latitude blocking. So that's just like high pressure near Greenland. Um, that increases the odds for a larger storm. There was a larger storm. It just it just didn't really snow along the you know along the east coast, which which happens. Um, and then January was kind of like um, a very strong El Nino pattern, which was bizarre. So that was also strange. February was like a typical La Nina. I would say February was because that was just, you know, Southeast Ridge, Northern New England cashed in. That's pretty typical, like Midwest, upper Midwest. And then March was March was a bit strange again with the high latitude blocking. But March is always a bit of a wild card. So, I mean, just goes to show that even though we have an overarching pattern of El Nino or La Nina or whatever it is. Um, there's always more things going on around the globe with different patterns, not just that one that can impact what we see here in the United States. Yeah, exactly. Like you have um, extra tropical influences as well. Um, stuff like that. They're like different, you know, like you could have like high pressure in Asia, stuff like that. That'll impact like the jet stream, um, like blocking, like blocking is very, it's difficult to predict. A lot of the time that stuff kind of comes, comes from England, uh, like England, Scandinavia that actually kind of backtracks. Um, so those kinds of things, El Nino and La Nina are like a broad, like forcing mechanism that favors certain outcomes and usually lead to them. But yeah, you can have certain other little influences. There's no way that you'd be able to pick them out on like a seasonal, like with seasonal guidance or anything like that. Yeah. Right. And that, that's what comes down to the long range forecasters like yourself. I mean, you can't just say, okay, it's an El Nino winter. That means this is going to happen. I mean, there's so many other subtleties that, you know, you and Kevin and, and a lot of the rest of the, you know, uh, long range staff there. And, and, and that's what they look at. And, that, and that's where you, you know, try to find these, um, you know, the, these trends, if you will, and, and, and kind of get an idea of what the season's going to, going to hold. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like more of like a, what's the best chance of happening sort of like when, when you're talking that far out, it's more like what, like what's favored, what's not favored. And there are some places that have a very, very high correlation. It just so happens to not really like, like a, for example, the southwestern United States, there is a very high correlation there between like a strong El Nino and a very snowy winter. Like you can almost get, you could almost always get it right there. That's pretty simple. But like for places like New England, New England has a pretty low correlation to um to El Nino and La Nina because they have so many different ways that they could snow. Um, there are many other different influences. They don't rely on blocking as much. Um, and then once you get farther south into the like you know, Southeast United States, like, you know, Richmond, the Carolinas, um, they much more heavily depend on El Nino. If you if you live that far south with La Nina, odds are you're just not having a good winter. But with El Nino, you're like, oh, okay, finally, like, like maybe you can kind of get something going. All right, folks down in Georgia are saying, maybe we can get some snow this year. It's an El Nino year. <laughs> like down there, it's what it comes down to. 
I guess that's one of the things that we can say for sure is going to be happening this winter. It's an El Nino year, yes, but then the variables come into play, and that's where you know, um, you know, you just have to watch and see the trends going forward and uh, the rest of the winter. Yeah, exactly. So, Kyle, why don't we go into a little bit of the sensible weather here? Um, obviously, here in October, we had a warm start to the month. Uh, We've settled into a colder, more unsettled pattern since then. Seems like every weekend is raining here in the Northeast. Um, to be honest with you, it's been like six in a row. That's kind of crazy. <laughs> a lot of a lot of cutoff lows going on. Um, somebody might look at that pattern and think, "Well, it's very active now. It's very stormy now. Does that just run right into winter? And then all of a sudden, we're getting clobbered with snowstorms all the time." But how do you see this changing as we go forward into November and December? Um, so what's interesting is that with um, El Ninos, a lot of the time you do have like a somewhat cooler October. That's somewhat to be expected. Um, but what's interesting is that a lot of people think that like if you have like a warm November and, and like I've, I've just kind of seen this like in the time that I've spent on like, you know, like chatting with other meteorologists or you know, hobbyists and whatnot, like. People think that if you have a warm November and especially December, that like winter is shot uh, with El Nino's, you kind of break out of that cooler, more unsettled pattern into November generally. So I would think really everything kind of seems to be going to plan. But I guess to answer your question, uh, no, not really. They're kind of expecting it to be a bit unsettled, I would say. Right. And so heading into uh, December, um, we're obviously getting into a transitionary month going into the winter. Um, from what I've seen and, and read through uh, a lot of your forecasts from the long range team, you would still expect it to be active. Um, but the problem may be, you know, where do we find that cold air? Is that correct? Yep. I would I would agree with that. I mean, I, I would venture to say that December is likely going to be the wettest month out of the three. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of cold air. That's 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 pretty much the issue we got. Right. So I, it's good to point out that, hey, this pattern is still going to be active. And, you know, although the snowfall overall might be a little bit below normal, there's still an active pattern there. So it's not that you're going to be entirely um, shut out. I would think for that early portion of the winter, you're still probably going to have to be dealing with uh, those interior mixes and maybe some freeze ups after some rainstorms. You know, maybe you don't get that blockbuster big storm that everybody loves to see, but there's still going to be some sort of work being done. What's interesting is that you do have, or at least kind of with the years that we've been checking out for this winter. Like you do have a lot of ridging near Alaska. So that kind of helps. So that helps get cold air into the U.S. So this isn't going to be a month where the, the, the United States is just devoid of cold, which would be much worse. This is not looking like that. It's just likely not going to be east of the Mississippi River. But what happens, though, is that the way that you can kind of see things working or like the way that you could get like some kind of like workable storm is you get a storm that you know cuts through the Great Lakes or, up, or upper Midwest, that would lead to a dumping of cold air into the eastern United States. It would be transient, 
like you would need to you know take advantage of it but you know if you just time that up with you know another since the pattern's so active you time that up with another wave moving through that's kind of how you would make that work so like the pattern isn't great but really all that that means it's kind of the opposite of uh of like last December, where you have a great pattern and you don't cash in, you can still snow with a bad pattern. It just takes more work. Like you need more to work in your favor. So it's not impossible or anything. And with that Southern jet becoming more active with the El Nino, there, there's that thing you talked about where, you know, you have that first storm go through and then you get the, another one develop right along the cold front as it moves south through the area. And then voila, you got your Nor'easter going. Yeah, exactly. So like there, there is a way that it can be done. Um, it's, it's tougher than it'll be later in the winter, but no, I mean, you can't predict a shutout for a month. That's not, that's not really feasible. I mean, November, it just doesn't really snow. (laughs) So, so, so November is a stretch. Yeah. Even when you look back at climatology, as far as seasonal snowfall from the Midwest into the Northeast, November, December accounts for maybe 10 to 20% of your seasonal snowfall. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not a big bulk of your snow producing season. So that's one of those things where you have to kind of put that in perspective and okay, if we get a few smaller storms or a couple of mixed systems in there, you know, it's not that unusual to, to start that way. Um, and you know, we wait until, you know, the January's, the February's to really start working into our larger storms. Not to say that the lakes couldn't get going during this time. I'm sure they'll be warm still. Um, is that correct? Yep, they they likely will be. I would say so. Lake effect should still be a should still be kicking. Yeah, and that might kick a little bit longer this winter, huh? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, we don't really expect to get into like a, a colder pattern, especially in the northern tier as well. The northern tier of the country is likely going to be the warmest. Warm with respect to winter in the north. <laughs> yeah, so not, not, yes, yes. Listen, it's still cold in Fargo and Duluth, even if it's a little the departure above from normal. normal for sure. I guess exactly. It gets, gets higher, right? Yeah. And I think that's an important caveat that our listeners need to you know, understand is that, yes, above normal, but above normal compared to maybe 20 degrees for an average high, you know, is what, 23 degrees for an average high? So you got to still understand that, hey, it's still cold. It's still winter. It's just that it's not as cold as it could be. <laughs> Up like a five degree above normal winter for like Minneapolis is likely still colder than like a minus five winter plenty cold to snow <laughs> yeah it, exactly same thing in new england too you can say the same thing in new england i mean it's gonna snow in new england no matter what season you're looking at or what what part of winter it's going to snow in new england every single every single year yep exactly so from what we're seeing here november and december looks like it comes down to the timing aspect kyle um, from what you're saying, everything has to be timed perfectly for us to to get you know that decent amount of snow to happen. Um, so right now we're looking at the smaller mixed events, things like that, but still some work being done. So what starts to change as we head into January and especially into February? What what do you see happening with the pattern that all of a sudden it might be more conducive with? Uh, both like La Nina and El Nino, 
Um, the reason why December doesn't really act the way it should, I, I, I guess to say, is because it hasn't really taken hold yet. Like things just haven't gotten going. And what I mean by that is with El Nino, the main characteristic of El Nino, and this is due to, you know, forcing in, in the tropics, it all kind of starts in the tropics, but you get a large low pressure system off of the Aleutian Islands, which are just southwest of Alaska. And that's when that becomes stronger. So once that kicks up, once that becomes stronger, you replace kind of like the, the lower pressure in the West with higher pressure. And you usually, usually, and on the average, I mean, there are going to be times where you get a trough in the West, but it, it's not favored by any means. But you usually get a ridge in the West and then troughing in the southeastern United States. And the correlation with that becomes a lot stronger once you get later into the winter. And, and um, there's a much better chance that you get blocking later in the winter as well uh, with El Nino. Yeah, and I think that's important for everybody to understand also. It's just these are the general patterns that we see on average. It's not to say that some aberration comes through you know, you get a system that isn't quite fitting the pattern, but then maybe it ends up being back to where we were again. It's an average of, you know, the high pressure in the West, the low pressure in the East, you know, that's why it's so difficult with the long range to say that you're going to get slammed on this day, uh, February 7th. Um, And if anybody does tell you that they're, they're lying. Uh, for <laughs> for one, um, but that that's what we really have to understand out there. Um, and, and Kyle, you mentioned the, the blocking part, and and I mean, for us to get good snows here in the Northeast, I mean, you need the blocking, and that's basically what we lacked all of last year, other than maybe you know one or two you know small uh, you know time frames. But overall, so this year definitely has a better chance to see maybe some more prolonged blocking and more sustained cold air as we progress deeper in the winter, correct? Yeah, I, th- I I think the main difference really is that the western tier of the U.S. will be more favorable. So really the issue with last year was that when you had blocking, which which was quite good, it just didn't really matter because you kept getting all of all of this, all these systems just digging into like so- Southern California. There's really just no shot. But here... The odds of that happening this year, like that consistently as it did last year, are low. The blocking that we get, which I'm fa- I'm fairly confident that we'll see blocking. I mean, you can't guarantee it. Um, there are some El Ninos um, where the blocking is more over Alaska than it is over Greenland. I mean, either of which is good. Um, it's probably going to be more towards like Greenland and kind of like northern Canada. Um, but the blocking that we do get, since we're in an El Nino, will likely be much more effective than it was last year. And by effective, I mean, you're going to be able to kind of get systems that will develop in the Southeastern U.S. rather than over the plains. And that's something I always like to see. I I, I want to see, if you're looking for snow, I like to see storms developing in the Southern part of the United States, because I know we're getting a good tap of moisture. Um, You know, Whereas if you're getting a storm that's developing over the plains, where are you getting your moisture from? You know, it's coming right out of Canada. Um, It's typically dry. There's a lot of dynamics going on there that you're going to have to bank on to get a decent storm to happen. 
you know, whereas if you get something with a prolific amount of moisture in the southern uh, subtropical jet there across the south, okay, now maybe we could just push all that moisture up and over some cold air to the north. That just makes me feel better <laughs> when it comes down to predicting a snowstorm. That's a good point because with with La Niña's, which is, again, what we've been dealing with for the last literally like five of the last six years, something like that. It's been a lot. Um, but the issue with those, and even, yeah, for, for us too, like from a forecasting perspective, since the polar jet is so active, you have so many little like waves flying around and they're all interacting with each other. But with El Nino, it's not necessarily simple, but it's a lot easier because yeah, you just have a plume of moisture or maybe just like a strong Southern wave that just rides into high pressure. Man, I like the sound of this from a day-to-day forecasting aspect. What do, what do you think about that, Brad? Yeah, it, it shouldn't be nearly <laughs> as chaotic. I mean, that's a good word right there. Chaotic. I like that. Yeah, La Niña's are 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 chaotic, even with the larger storms that you get, because you just have all of this energy diving in from the polar jet, and the subtropical jet just isn't as, isn't as much of a factor. And maybe that's been the issue over the last couple of years, because over the last couple of years. I've felt like, you know, I've been doing this over 15 years forecasting the weather. Um, and it just seems like things were always so volatile, um, changing so much on your guidance. Um, you know, there was not one, uh, model that you can always trust. Um, it always seemed like you're jumping to the GFS or the Euro, or now I'm looking at the Canadian, or maybe I'm looking at the icon now, uh, as my model of choice. Very flippy floppy, if you will. <laughs> A lot of different changes from run to run. And maybe that was due to all of the, you know, the several years of La Nina going on. And, all those disturbances like you're talking about. I mean, it definitely plays a part. We're, we're already into moderate El Nino territory. Um, we're likely getting into strong. Um, but to, to just put into perspective, like we have had only three years since 2000 that have been a moderate El Nino or stronger, which are 2002, 2009, and 2015. So we haven't... And, and also 2015-16 was record-breaking. We're, we're not anticipating anything like that. If you want to get to something that's a bit more realistic, like 2009 was like kind of like moderate to borderline strong. And again, not even advocating for like that's not like a winner. But like we haven't had a year within this kind of bracket of strength for El Nino. If you want to toss aside 2015 because of how anomalous it was, I mean, you're talking literally almost 15 years. It's been a long time. It's been a while. Like we've had smaller El Ninos like 2018, 2019, but that was weak. And it didn't really act like one because it was weak. Like the weaker the events are, the less of of a pull they have on everything, which also makes this year a bit easier. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say, like, say easier, but I guess more straightforward is that since it'll be moderate to strong, the correlations to the things that we're talking about are higher. Like it, it has more of an impact. So it's a bit more straightforward. Yeah. I guess to forecast and to kind of get a grip on what's likely going to happen overall on average this winter. No, I always like straightforward. Yeah. We can get some more. <laughs> if I could eliminate gray areas, that, that's well, yeah, I, I mean, like the weaker and the neutral um, events are really, really, really difficult. Those are those are those are tough. 
Right. So let's just count on President's Day this year for <laughs> having a big storm because that's a good time. It's a good time for him. <laughs> it seems like there's always a big storm on President's Day somewhere around that period. Um, I don't know why, but maybe they just like the the history likes the sound of President's Day blizzard. I suppose has a ring to it. <laughs> no, I like a good Boxing Day blizzard. So well, that's December, yeah. Well, yeah, that was fun fact. I remember I was home um, trying to enjoy my Christmas, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I just remember uh, uh, our sales uh, VP uh, Kevin Hopper giving me a call <laughs> and say, "Mike, Merry Christmas," <laughs> and I was just like, "You're not calling me just to wish me a Merry Christmas? What's going on?" And uh, sure enough, yeah, Boxing Day blizzard happened, and you know. And the the weather never sleeps. Uh, nope, doesn't care what the holiday is, or yeah. Nope, doesn't care about the holidays either. Yeah. Um. So um, basically, January and February, in a nutshell, especially more in the way of February, looks to be when winter's worst uh, hits this year. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say from the back half of January through all of February. Is when, yeah, that that is when you're going to have to watch for like a larger storm. I I would say so, because that's when the subtropical jet is likely going to be strongest. Um, the El Nino pattern is likely going to be at its strongest. Um, and February, just cl- climatologically speaking, February is the best month for the, the, like the vast majority of the eastern United States, especially the coast, especially. Like one, one of the main differences between this year and last year um, is that when you have a La Nina, you December is usually the best month compared to average. So you're maximizing a month that usually isn't that great. December is not as snowy as many think it is. March is much snowier than December. Yeah. Well, like Mike said, it's only 10 to 20% of your, you know, full. Yeah. I mean, that's in December. So basically like your max in La Nina's, you're, you're maximizing a month that usually doesn't even give you much. And then you're minimizing the best month of the year. But this year, the pattern isn't great for the month that already historically isn't that great. But then you're maximizing a month that is usually good. So you're kind of like squeezing the most out of like the winter. More Getting more bang for your buck. Generally, yes. And then especially with a subtropical jet, this probably has the best chance of having like a legit big storm in a while. Like it, it just given the pattern. I like it. <laughs> like moderate, moderate, strong El Ninos and including like super El Ninos too which I'm not exactly advocating for. There's a low chance. I'd say maybe like a 10 to 15% shot. But even those years, like 1982 was a Super El Nino that had one of the largest storms ever in February. Uh, 2015 did, that had the blizzard. Again, 2009, 2002, those all had big storms. Even um, even a year like 1972, this, this, this is not, you know, like a snowfall forecast by any means, but just to kind of illustrate a point. Before last winter, um, that was actually New York City's least snowy winter. And you would think, right, nothing really happened. Um, but that year, actually, there was um, the largest southeastern United States uh, snowstorm ever, I believe. And parts of the Carolinas got like two feet of snow. So even so, even like like even winters like that, where you might think, oh, like that was just a terrible winter, nothing happened. These years almost invariably produce major storms somewhere. So like you're going to have a crack at it. Like I, I would be very surprised if there wasn't one or two 
large storms and then you might be able to dink and dunk some smaller stuff but it's just not going to be as frequent with like it's not going to be as frequent as with la nina because la nina you have an active polar jet so you get little clippers and stuff like that you get a lot of stuff moving through this year um yeah there's definitely just a better shot for um especially like in the mid-atlantic too which really struggled last year this is one of the few years where i've actually felt like pretty good if you're from like you know like the mason dixon line southward well, I'm sure they'd like to hear it down there, especially if you're looking. If you're a snow lover in the Mid Atlantic, this is this is possibly your year here. It yeah, I like. would, I would, especially with all the La Ninas that we've had. Yeah, this is one of the few times I felt optimistic. Well, first of all, if you're a snow lover in the Mid Atlantic, you should probably yeah, move. move. Yeah, yeah, maybe at least go to the uh, West Virginia mountains or something. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, and and also like not to um, not to uh, neglect New England, so to speak. Um, but like. They're still going to see their fair share of snow because they always do, just given how far north they are. They always do. But, like, given the amount of blocking, there definitely is, like, a chance of uh, – again, you can, make a, you can make a comparison to um, uh, 2015 um, where, like, a lot of the time, given the amount of blocking, you can just see the biggest snow kind of, like, from, like, kind of, like, central Connecticut southward. And some of the biggest snows just, yeah, just generally get suppressed to the south. Which, again, if you're slightly below average in New England, you're still getting, like for Boston, for example, you're still getting like 30 to 40 inches of snow. Like it's, not, it's by no means a shutout. But the odds of you getting in on the action are lower. But there is historical precedent that that's not necessarily the case. Again, 1982, that blizzard impacted everyone from D.C. to Boston. President's Day, 2003 again dc to boston so it's not to say that you can't get a larger storm you, you definitely can but just keep in mind that there is the potential for you know there being a cutoff in new england like that would be that would <laughs> that would not be shocking um one thing we we didn't talk a whole lot about is uh in the midwest um so what are they looking like out there i mean obviously we know the the storm track is you know, coming from the subtropical jet, to me, it seems like, you know, maybe some of those big, large storms you're talking about probably cut south, but it's not entirely all bad out there, I wouldn't think. No, I don't think so. It's more it's more of an issue of them being dry than it is being too warm to snow. That 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 that's kind of really what it is. So like you're still gonna get your typical clippers, lighter events. But for the larger storms, again, um, the, the reason why they cash in with La Nina so much is because when you have that ridge in the southeastern United States, you have the storms cutting through, you know, like Missouri, Arkansas, like, you know, like uh, Kentucky. That's when you get larger storms in the Midwest. That Those are the years that they cash in. So not to say... And also considering that the snowfall averages for the Midwest, especially once you get into like Chicago, like Minneapolis, places up there, they're already quite high. Um, and there's less variance as well. So like a bad winter for Chicago is not nearly as bad as like a bad winter for New York City where they can literally get shut out. Like they never get shut out there. The variance is lower. Um, so I wouldn't like I wouldn't expect a good winter out there again, just because like you're likely just too dry. Like the main storm track is likely going to be to the South. But if you live in like Cincinnati or like Columbus or like Pittsburgh, 
yeah, like you, you're probably getting scraped, but you know, getting scraped by a major storm for, you know, New York city, you still get like solid 48 inches out of that. Like, it's not like, it's not like you're not going to see anything, but like in terms of like a shot at like a historic Midwest storm, eh, I don't know. It's, 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 it doesn't look like the year for that. <laughs> that was kind of more last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With the La Nina, typically it's wetter in the Midwest um, in that type of regime. Um, but yeah, just with being you know further west and having you're closer to those cold sources of air, yeah, you're still going to have events that you're going to have to get out there and salt and get out there and do something about. Um, just maybe um, not the bigger events um, that they would get from time to time, but it might be more of the smaller events that kind of nickel and dime their way up to, you know, your, your seasonal snowfall totals. Um, so, so that's out in the Midwest and I guess we should just kind of wrap things up in March and April here. So I got to say the last several years, it seems like winter just did not want to leave when spring was arriving uh and you know, I, I don't know what that's all about but <laughs> but uh, yeah last two years april and yeah it just dragged on yeah but this year what are we what are we seeing for the end of winter and, and heading into early spring what do we have on tap generally what we're expecting is so as i was talking about a little while ago before with that low pressure near the aleutian islands near alaska it looks like that will likely overwhelm the pattern at some point in March, probably the latter half of March. And so what I mean by that is you're just kind of getting too much Pacific air into the pattern. So like you're, you're not getting the same amount of uh, flow from, you know, Northern Canada or Alaska. So I think the first half of March could like, if we do get good blocking in February, which is certainly a possibility, um, I would venture to say I would probably expect some period of blocking in February. Um, you can still see that blocking linger into March, like the first couple of weeks of March. Um, yeah, and it always seems like blocking likes to hang on a little bit longer than you expect. Exactly. So I, I would not say that like March is like a shutout by any means at all. Um, you could definitely still see, given how active things are, the subtropical jet, and if there is any residual blocking, especially if the blocking restrengthens in like late February, because a lot of the time you get the larger storms when the blocking diminishes most of the time. So if the blocking is diminishing in the first week of March, that's when you get a storm. So I would definitely like, you know, like still be cautious in the first half of the month, but I, I would expect, especially once you get into like back half of March and April, it it should like spring spring should come like kind of you know more normally than it has been the last couple of years where they've just been persistent just well that's good I, I think most i think most people like to see spring after a winter season they they welcome it to be a little bit sooner than usual um because hey we all want to get that you know grass growing again and and the and the flowers popping and like want to get out there cutting it again and uh, I do like cutting grass, but, you know, hey, that's my own grass. But anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, spring is always a good time. And, and it's good that it looks like it should arrive on time uh, and not having old man winter. 
hang on uh, like it has in the past. Exactly. So I wouldn't say that like you just let your guard down early, um, but I would say yeah, once you get into yeah late March April, I I don't think the odds of us seeing like you know persistent like wintry nuisance events is, is nearly as high as it has been over the last couple of years. It ju- it just it just shouldn't be like that. I'll tell you one thing. I, I'm I'm getting more and more excited about this upcoming winter. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's every reason for it, like compared to the last few years. Like you said, I mean, we're <laughs> well, yeah, after last year too. But this year, I just I have this odd feeling, this gut feeling. This this is something I don't know. I think it's uh it's gonna be a, a good winter. Yeah. Well, there you have it. We have Brad Scud on our side, <laughs> yeah. So we are ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I think really the thing is that it it it's it's going to be active, and really th- the main issue early on is likely going to be a lack of cold air. But then once you get later into the year, that cold air filters in. Given how active things are, especially in February, where February could be colder than average, I I would venture to say it likely will be. Uh, especially once you get like south of the Mason Dixon line, um, January, February on average, yeah, prob- yeah, probably colder. February by itself at one month, pro- probably will probably will be somewhat cold. But in terms of snow, you don't need it to be brutally cold. You just need it to be cold enough, really. And with an active, you know, with an active storm track, these storms create their own cold air anyway. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. You you only need it to be just in february just seasonable really but we 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 should see enough cold air later in the year where that active storm you know the active storm track in the southeast southeastern united states actually you know becomes more useful i would say yeah it doesn't have to be uh, below normal cold in order for you to see snow in the winter and uh, that's just a very important concept so um but hey uh, i think that pretty much wraps it up here kyle uh, we, we ran through the whole season here. Now, keep in mind, uh, we'll probably have you back in sometime in the middle of winter uh, to revisit and see how things are going. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and where we're heading as we head towards the back half of winter. Um, you know, that will likely be in the middle of January sometime uh, where we'll revisit and give an update on the winter season. Um, and by that time, we should be talking about getting into a pretty snowy pattern um <laughs> uh, yeah i was i was gonna say at that point you'll probably see some signs and then also like like to start off like uh to start off the winter there have been years like 2002 2009 where like you did actually start off pretty hot so it's not it's not like it hasn't happened hot come on <laughs> started off snowy but yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, so there, there is some historical precedent, but I guess, you know, just to sum it up, you know, you're probably, you're going to have to get lucky earlier, definitely a possibility, but in terms of the bigger storm potential, which is much higher than recent years, I, I, I would, I would say pretty confidently, um, you're, you're likely going to have to wait until back half of, back half of January into February and you should, you should get a few cracks at a, should get a few cracks at a big one. All right. And then either way for our uh, webinar, we had a question that maybe I'll ask uh, 
Kyle here. Maybe he knows the uh, answer to this question. Um, <laughs> how many snow days in central New Jersey was asked by a six-year-old uh, kid <laughs> looking winter? for the winter outlook? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, central uh, Jersey. Well, 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 now, well, now they canceled school for everything now. Well, that's true. It, it doesn't take much to uh, the, to close schools. It's not the same as it used to be when I was uh, when I was in high school and middle school and stuff. Yeah, and then they even have the uh, flexible online day or something like that. Flexible going online on. days, right? I guess in terms of like a typical snow day where you just where you just shut out. Yeah, let's let's go back to the old school uh, snow day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say probably like two or three, something like that. Okay, something like that. that. Seems about right. Perfect. You heard it here first uh, for that uh, for the guy in uh, central New Jersey. Three snow days uh, from our long range long range meteorologist here, Kyle. I would uh, say that's late. a fair shot. Hey, I'm not going to lie. There were a couple of times when I was a kid and, and just when I was starting to really get excited in, into weather and stuff. And, and um, you know, I was doing it. I was like, I want to do this one day. You know, I didn't do my homework because, oh, no, we're definitely not having school tomorrow. <laughs> and I wake up and like wait to see. Oh my god, no, it's rain! No. <laughs> well, there's all I wanted to do it too. That's no, funny. yeah, yeah. And it's funny that you say about the 2002 uh, storm there too, because I was in college at the time, and I think I was home in eastern Pennsylvania, and I had to go back out to Penn State, and all of a sudden uh, that storm decided it wanted to hit. <laughs> And I remember waking up next morning saying like forecast change to like 10 to 20 inches. And I was like, oh, no, we, we need we need to get going now. Um, I think even State College might have got like 15 or. 16 oh, yeah, that smacked that everybody. Um, so that was and that usually doesn't happen out there in central uh, Pennsylvania to see, you know, 15, 16 inches in State College. That's pretty far of an aberration. But Anyway, we're getting a little sidetracked, but uh, Kyle, thanks a lot for being with us here on the Weather Lounge. Yeah. Thanks again, as always. Yeah, no, of course. All right. And we'll visit with Kyle again in the middle of winter, but keep in mind that we will have more podcasts in the next couple of weeks. Every two weeks, we have a new one. And remember to visit WeatherWorks uh, at weatherworksinc.com and also on all those social media channels out there. Search for WeatherWorks and you will find us. So that's it for the Weather Lounge. And thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon.